Bruce Newberry. The food dude. All right, so here we are. It's Bruce Newberry with Ted Carusas, and we're here at the Blue Play Diner. But we can't call it a TED Talk. I thought what we'd talk about today, Ted, is the trends of 2019, the trends for 2020. Uh, and I just happened to get an email from the Nation's Restaurant News that has the top 10 trends and what they're looking for the business and the industry to do in the year 2020. And some of them you already called. It's not that I'm any smarter than anybody else. I just do a lot of reading on the topics. I think the big deal going on, 2019 was certainly the year of these delivery services. Right? Yeah. The DoorDashes, the Uber Eats, all these other crazy, you name it, they got it. At least it was the year that they all kind of came up and became mainstream. Right. When we say mainstream, meaning suburbia, like we're in. Right. Right? I mean, they've been all going strong in big cities for a while now. Um, and so I think that you're going to see the following happen. Because of that, and the backlash of these incidental extra fees, you will see people just saying, you know what, I still want to eat out. I still want a good restaurant quality meal. It's too expensive to get delivery. I'm going to start ordering it on the way to work, on the way from work and grabbing it. Instead of going to the supermarket, you're going to grab it and go. I think that is going to be the trend. It'll be like a 50-50 split. And I'll tell you why I feel like this. A lot of restaurants have seen upticks, at least the people I talk to, in their to-go business because of the whole DoorDash and everything else. Whether or not they use it or not. not, they use it or not. Wow. And, and I think it's because people are introduced to it through these couponing and whatever you have, right? It's the hot thing to do. And so, one, because of that, people are now accustomed to ordering out. I also think the following is going to happen. Not everybody's menu is meant for takeout. And, you know, I turn down a ton of catering business on a regular basis for the morning because they want pancakes. Right. Well, they're going to be rubbery. Uh, I want uh, scrambled eggs. Well, they're going to be hard by the time they get them. I want poached eggs. Well, so consequently, menus will now be driven or the takeout as people get more savvy. Takeout containers are going to evolve to be able to accommodate two things. One, biodegradability and also hot holding. Right, you see it with certain French fries now that they're battered a certain way, so yes. they'll stay crisp for a long time. You're going to see more innovation in that area. You're going to see small, well, you're going to see large businesses like restaurants, uh, like whether you're Applebee's or whoever, the big chains, investing in certain menus that are takeout and delivery only. And as a result of that, smaller restaurateurs will as well. And so you'll have like dual menus, limited service menus, where it still can have hot holding and, and, and portray a level of quality similar to what would be in the restaurant. Because the worst thing is you get something delivered to you and it's cold. Yes. And you overpaid for it because you have all these fees on top of it. So the next worst thing would be to get something that was not a long time to deliver and it's not of good quality because of just it's to go. All right. So let me ask you this. Go back to the party, the breakfast, breakfast event where they wanted pancakes and scrambled eggs. People are going to still want pancakes and scrambled eggs, and there's not going to be, you're right, they haven't quite reinvented the, the mechanism to get them so that they taste as good as they do coming over the counter and at your table here at the Blue Plate. 
So what happens then? Is it, do we get into Rent-A-Chef? Do we get more on-site uh, high-end catering? Be, and does that become be high-end? Delivery. I think, um, you know, some places will get become known for it. Like, I'd love to set you up. It's a different story, right? You're doing a breakfast meeting, and then I got a guy making omelets there for you. Right. I mean, that is good. The quality is going to be extraordinary. It's probably semi-reasonable, right? I mean, you've got a chef That'd on be duty. great. Because the ingredients, for the most part, are much cheaper than, let's say, a, a buffet would be. Sure. Uh, you can uh, come in at a cost uh, cost price. Uh, I would go to that meeting. Right. And uh, Yeah, that, that way you're sure for more people coming to the meeting. But I, I definitely think that there's going to be a paring down in, in menu offerings where you get what you get because that's what represents you the best. And so then you execute on your reputation and whatever that may be. That means you can't be everything to every everybody, right? I mean, you go to Chinese. Think of yourself. The last time you ordered Chinese, the last time you ordered pizza, when was the last time you got really crazy? It's the same old, same old. Exactly. You the drive-through. You went there because that's what you're known for, and that's kind of the the way it's going to be, I think. And on the other side more of that, specialization, more, more specialization. I I get, but on the same, by the same token, we're human beings, and you just touched on it. How about turning that around? Yes, we go and we order what we order at this type of restaurant, pizza place, whatnot. They know how I always get my coffee the same way and so forth. Well, here at the diner, the whole premise is that they know how you like what you like. Right. And that here's, it's, here's what's funny about that. So you're 100% right. As people become known for, as a store becomes known for a certain product, so too will the service landscape for that product continue to evolve. So as you get into delivery and more AI, artificial intelligence, in how people know what you like and how you like it, Starbucks is probably the biggest example juggernaut in that realm, right? Whole reason why you, I literally will not go to a Starbucks if there's a line out the door. So I use the app. I walk in, I order my thing, I get it. But here's what's funny. The backlash of that is it's no longer my third meeting place, right? I mean, that was their whole big thing is it's a place where you can savor and enjoy a coffee and catch up with friends that is non-alcoholic. And even they're going into the alcohol business, right. right? So the premise is you love their product. You order the same thing. So what's the next pain point? Speed of delivery and execution. So what do I do? I use an app. So that kind of artificial intelligence you're gonna see being used across the board for a lot of different things. You're gonna see a lot more technology used actually in, um, um, a lot more technology being used in the, in the restaurants as far as robotics, as far as big data, these things. And it's funny because we don't think being in the restaurant business that we use a lot of technology, but on a recent tour to Mount Vernon, I saw how they used to cook for good old General George Washington. It was a big old, um, what do you call it, a fireplace yeah. mantle. And underneath it, they had five or six fires going on. The mantle of the fireplace was the hood. And the hot air would use a fan to turn the roasting pig. And so that was in the old-fashioned pull uh, le levers and pulleys, which was technology, using nature to kind of be able to cook for multiple people. Why do I tell you this? Because here we are, robotics, the oven, technology, we take it for granted. Refrigeration, technology, we take it for granted. All of these uh, um, uh, things that we currently take for granted in the commercial kitchen as well as in the, in, in the home kitchen, we were at the forefront true. in creating that. And so now I'm saying to myself, what's, this, what's the next step? What is the next step? And I'm telling you the robotics, and here's where you're going to feel it the most. The mom and pop places, we still need people to contact and make human connections.
connection. There'll be a renaissance, I feel, within the next three to five years on the smaller mom and pop locally. Not because it's, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's because as these big corporations scale and try and control their labor costs as part of the backlash of the hourly 15, they're going to go and ro ro roboticize as much as they possibly can. Whether it's at McDonald's, whether it's at the fast casuals of the Chipotles and the Paneras of the world, whatever they may be, which is going to displace a lot of people, but they'll find other jobs in other fields, of course, because that's what ends up always happening. Something else pops up. But if I don't have to, just like the whole Starbucks scenario, I want the product and I don't need to interact with the people, and then you have... But the, then there are times when I do need to interact right, with the people. Right. And when you're alone and you're from out of town and you're the only one up because the whole world's sleeping and you go to a diner and you sit at the counter, you want a friendly face saying, hey, how you doing today? And after one or two visits, they already know what you want. See, we're mimicking what the robots are going to be doing, but we're already doing it. We're beating the robots right. at their own game. I've right. seen this movie. Right. Oh, no, it doesn't end out well. <laughs> many, many sequels, though, but that's it. <laughs> But uh, so those are just my little takes on what to expect coming up the next two to three years. I think it's going to grow rapidly. I think it's, there's pressure for people to spend more money on labor dollars that you're going to see automation kick in. It's just inevitable, uh, and which also means you're, it's funny because it's going to be contrary to the specialization and customization which the customers want. So that's going to create another conundrum. I don't know how it's going to be. The place Spice, actually, yes. Daniel Baloud's restaurant yes. up in Cambridge with MIT, they had to shut down for about six months to kind of reprogram yes. the robots and kind of do because people want more than breakfast bowls. We called that two and a half years ago. <laughs> we absolutely did. Right? I mean, if you're limited as to what you can order, you're going to order what you can order, right? And I think you're onto something with the human interaction and the, the, at the seat of the human interaction, the diner. Right. Well, a any diner, right? Whether, yeah. Uh, um, Just the concept. In Japan, it's a sushi counter. Uh, it's a taqueria in Mexico. In the U.S., it's a, it's a diner, right? It's got a counter. It's fast service. It's comfort food, meaning food I'm familiar with. It's someone who knows me, and it's a food of the people. So that, though, I think all that stuff will never go out of style, no matter where you are in the world and whatever country you, you visit. So... Um, uh, at least for now, I have some. I have a job, so for and, now, and that's an encouraging trend. So yeah. I think we'll go with that. Great, awesome. Thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. When there's a real chill in the air, there are few things that can delight all your senses, like the wonderful things going on in the kitchen. The minute you hit the door, all your senses get engaged. The smell of the good things cooking, you hear that sizzle, and you can't wait to taste, particularly when that cook is preparing Gaspar's linguisa and churis, adding Gaspar's to any one of your favorite dishes. Chili, pizza, omelets, sandwiches, red beans and rice, lasagna. There's almost no end to the wonderful ways Gaspar's can be served. And Gaspar's linguisa comes in slices, franks, cocktail bites, and the traditional sausage. There's sausage out of the casing for sauces and stuffing. So now that the cold weather is here, it's time to treat yourself to the unique taste of Gaspar's linguisa once again. Available at all major supermarkets. Gaspar's, for over 85 years, the Portuguese sausage that the whole world can enjoy. Our friend Amy Traverso, who's the food editor of Yankee Magazine. Amy, nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you uh, you definitely, definitely uh, walk the talk. One of the food award winners who actually helped you out with your cold. Yeah, so... So yeah, we, we created the food awards because we we saw all there's a lot of awards for restaurants, but New England is such a hotbed for artisan foods, you know, cheeses and chocolates and jams and all those things. 
And so we wanted to honor them um, because they make it a better place to live <laughs> here in New England. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so one of the products, I've had a cold the past couple of weeks, and one of our winners this year is a, is a company called Woodstove Kitchen in Mount Vernon, New Hampshire, a guy named Steve Zick. Um, he had uh, lived and studied in Europe. He worked for the United Nations, actually. And uh, when he came back to the U.S., he started a company because he'd had he'd gone to the markets, the Christmas markets in Europe, and enjoyed like the mulled syrup and mulled, uh, mulled wine and mulled cider and things like that. Um, and so he he created a company that makes these syrups. They make a mulling syrup, which is what we awarded this year because it's so perfect for the holidays. You yes. can pour some in cider or wine, and you've got your drink. But they do make a hot toddy mix that has been getting me through <laughs> this cold. It's so so good. You add your own, you know, bourbon or whiskey, whatever you want, and then you add a little lemon, and it is it's fantastic. It's such a great drink. So yeah, wood stove products are terrific, and then. Uh, we have some Vermont winners that we love, um, Blake Hill Preserves yes. in Windsor, Vermont. Um, they're fantastic. I mean, a British couple that moved to, actually moved to the States to work in, in Manhattan. Like, they were, you know, living the kind of corporate life in Manhattan and really? decided to move to Vermont. And, yeah, and, and they, um, Vicki Allard uh, is such a talented uh, preserves maker. It was one of those classic stories of... You know, you're making them as a hobby, and then your friends are saying, this is so good, you should sell it. And so you sell it at a few farmer's markets, and you sell out, and you start to ramp up. Um, so Vicky and her husband, Joe, are just, they're killing it in the preserves category. They actually went back to England and won the World Marmalade Championships really? <laughs> as, as expats. Yeah. Wow. So they're they're really worth checking out. And the we love everything they make. They do this in particular, the spiced plum preserve with port and star anise. That is not only delicious on bread and, uh, you know, spooned into yogurt or whatever, but um, it is specifically made to pair with blue cheese, um, which uh, we love because during the holidays, you kind of want to put out that beautiful cheese board with mm -hmm. the accompaniments and, you know, it's perfect for that. Yeah. And you actually, uh, in the award description, you actually have a, a blue that they paired it with. Uh, Tell us yeah. about that. That so, actually had won an award unto itself. Yeah. So um, we Jasper Hill is, you know, the famous uh, cheese um, company in Vermont or yes. farm, um, Jasper Hill Farm, uh, way up in northern Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, and they make an incredible line of cheeses, including Bailey Hazen Blue, which is their blue. Um, it's an amazing blue cheese. And so Vicky and Joe teamed up with the, with the team at Jasper Hill to develop a line of preserves that specifically pair with their cheeses. But obviously, they really pair with any blue cheese. But um, they, they kind of worked with the team at Jasper Hill to come up with these preserves. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, when you hit those levers, definitely uh, you've got the Vermont experience going, but you found some unusual foods, not only from Vermont, but from all over New England and from Rhode Island. But stick to Vermont for a minute. Tell, tell me about the matzo maker up there in Hardwick. Oh, my gosh. I came across this matzo. It's basically, it's not like the matzo you see in the supermarket. It is yeah. a gorgeous, giant cracker made with, you know, real grain, like really beautifully milled, fresh grain. Um, it is nutty and so flavorful. As a, like, look, I love regular matzo too, but mm -hmm. um, this is real. This has got flax seeds and sesame in it. It's just so much flavor. It's a baker named Charlie Emmers who, who kind of came up with it. He was invited to a Passover Seder. He couldn't find any, any matzo in the store, and uh, he lives in East Hardwick, Vermont, which is pretty far north. 
um, and he uh, he decided to make his own because he was already a baker, and and it became so popular that now it's a regular thing that he sells. It's not kosher. It's really something for people who just want to have like the best tasting cracker. I really recommend it for you know you can break it into pieces and put again put it on your cheese your cheese board. Yeah. Um, and I found it at the Woodstock Farmers Market, and I've been. Any time I'm anywhere where they sell it, um, I buy it. But you can also order it online. All the products that we feature have to be able to be purchased online because we don't want to feature something that no one can get. You know, So everything, uh, like everyday matzo, you can go to Patrick, Patrick Farm and Bakery's website and you can order it. Gotcha. And one thing I noticed, we were talking about this on the dining show a couple of weeks ago, and I noticed that there's a connection between, as you say, these a lot of these folks – started out as something else, this was their passion or their distraction or avocation or whatever, and they found out that they could actually make a living at it. But a lot of these folks, or quite a few of these, had background in design, like our friend Brenda from yeah. Popette. I love, I love this. Because, uh, so Popette is, Popette, I should say, is a, um, they make candy and in particular lollipops. And yes. they're the most beautiful lollipops you've ever seen. They have these frosted designs on them. And the reason they're so beautiful is because Brenda Swift, the owner, had a background in textile design. She was a fashion designer and she um, she really loved candy and she wanted to kind of experiment with making her own kind of just for fun. Um, and she wanted it to be a little healthier, not use corn syrup and use natural dyes as opposed to artificial dyes. So she started making them, and then she thought, you know, I can make these beautiful. I know how to design. So she kind of sketched the the designs for her candy that she kind of um, she she sort of frosts them with these patterns, and they are just stunning. And they come in really fun flavors like mango tangerine and strawberry cream, raspberry. There's there's all kinds of like I, I love the fruit ones in particular, and you know I love these small business stories because she recently signed a deal with Bloomingdale's, and now you can find them in Bloomingdale's all around the country. Um, you can also order them online and find them in gourmet markets. Um, another story I love is. Um, this I, I love this cheese so much, and it's it's um, it's it's made up in Maine. It's called Lakin's Gorgeous Cheese, uh, is the company, and the cheese is called Rockweed. Now, um, you've probably seen in the supermarket uh, these kind of soft ripened cheeses that have the white, you know, beautiful bloom on the rind, yeah. and then in the middle there's like a layer of something. Usually it's ash. It's usually like vegetable ash um, or hay ash. You know, they they basically burn something edible till it makes an ash, and you you put a layer of that in the middle of the cheese, and it actually helps the cheese to develop better flavor, um, and it helps it mature in this lovely way. Well, she, um, excuse me, the the owner, Allison Lakin, saw that rockweed and, and seaweed products were becoming an industry in Maine. And yeah. so what she does, she takes rockweed, which is this very common seaweed that grows all over the Maine coast, they, they turn it into an ash, they burn it down, and they put a layer of that in the cheese. And I swear it is just the cool, it, it gives it this briny, like a little bit of a brininess, and it's, it's, it's um, kind of mineral, it's like a mineral quality, and the cheese is very rich, made with you know milk from her cows, and so it's super delicious Jersey milk cheese with this amazing kind of briny layer in the middle of it. And it's just so much fun. And again, this is a product that we wanted to give an award to a couple of years ago, but um, she's just gotten to the point where she can uh, do mail order. And so uh, we were able to finally feature them this year. How nice. Uh, it makes perfect sense because rockweed is what makes the clam bake. So it yes, makes yeah. perfect sense. 
that you're going to have yeah, that Yeah, and so flavor. it's sort of this sea meets land. I mean, and Midcoast Maine is so fabulous that way where there are these farms and then there's, you know, this incredible aquaculture and yes. there's seafood. And so this cheese really reflects the, 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 we were joking that it kind of is, instead of saying it's the terroir of Maine, it's the meroir of Maine. Yes, <laughs> indeed. The, yes. The ocean flavors. Yeah. That's yeah. the difference right there. You're so, so right. Uh, Amy Traverso, no doubt. Well, there are all of these uh, wonderful Yankee editor's choice food awards from these food artisans from all over New England to uh, be found. But of course, don't miss the feature story on Newport and Christmas time in Newport. And uh, gosh, yeah. it's just lovely. It's just such a special place. I mean, the I, a few years ago, I did the tour of the mansions at Christmas. The way they're decorated, the Christmas tree in every room, you know, the yes. giant tower of poinsettias that, you know, an entire team in a greenhouse are behind the creation. Yes. It's incredible at the Breakers. It, it's just such a special town, and and you know I think what we all want is that that magical town where you park yourself, you 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 know you 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 book a room, you leave your stuff, and then you get out on your feet and you walk around and you just take in the beauty and you take in the shopping and the and the restaurants and Newport is fantastic for that. I mean, it just has it all there. It's all accessible. And then you have that kind of extra magic of being by the sea because I, I adore Vermont and I love Christmas in Vermont, but, you know, there's something really fun and different. And I think New Englanders often forget to go to the ocean once summer's over. And in fact, here's this town that has everything. You've got it, and uh, we've got it, and it's so great to uh, hear you talk about it. <laughs> we it's love it. It's such a pleasure. It's so much fun to think about. <laughs> well, come on and uh, spend some time with us. Uh, we've got Christmas in Newport yeah. going on, and uh, it is uh, just doing so, so well. And I have to believe it's in part to the attention that Yankee Magazine has brought to it, and it just makes it look so lovely because it is. And it's great to talk to you. We can see you on Weekends with Yankee. And of course, yes, that's our show on PBS. Yes, and uh, read you, of course, in Yankee Magazine. And uh, have a wonderful holiday. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, you Happy too. Holidays. You too. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Take good care. You too. There's Amy Traverso from Yankee Magazine. Bruce Newberry. The food dude.